You are now listening to the On Cue Performance Therapy Podcast, where the worlds of sports medicine and performance collide. My name is Mike Quintins. I'm a physical therapist with an entrepreneurial mindset that specializes in treating orthopedic and sports injuries. I'm bringing on the brightest and sharpest in the field of sports medicine to share their best practices and explore the gap where medicine meets performance. Welcome to the On Cue Performance Therapy Podcast. This is your host, Mike Quintins, and today we're going to be discussing with Dr. Lindsay Keenan, who's an athletic trainer at Westchester, a screening app for mental health and athletes uh, of, of all ages, but especially in the collegiate and high school levels. So but before we dive into that, what I'd like to do is thank our, our guests and our, and our listeners in particular for, for listening, for showing up and uh, leaving reviews. And, and listen, I think what's most important is is that there's a big thank you to you guys because we've we've listened and we've gotten a, a variety of different guests on this year. And I think what's what's really important is that uh, this one in particular hits home for me because uh, I don't know as much as I should about this. So uh, I can't wait. So we'll do a quick bio for Lindsay and uh, we'll get rolling. So Dr. Lindsay Keenan is an athletic trainer and associate professor in the Department of Sports Medicine at Westchester University and is the co-founder and CEO of Promotion Health a mental health screening solution for sports medicine in schools. She received her bachelor's degree in athletic training from Lock Haven University, two master's degrees from East Stroudsburg University in athletic training and sports management, and her doctorate in kinesiology with a concentration in sports and exercise psychology from Temple University. Lindsay works clinically with the Westchester University NCAA women's rugby team and teaches courses in the undergraduate and graduate athletic training programs, including sports psychology, cadaver dissection, and clinical courses. Her research focuses on mental health and concussion injury in student-athletes. She's considered a national expert on student-athlete mental health and has presented nationally and internationally on student-athlete depression, concussion, and mental health screening. Her entrepreneurial journey led her to the development of ProMotion, which she is utilizing clinically and in research to assess mental health of student-athletes and referral outcomes. So without further ado, thanks for joining me, Lindsay. Thank you so much for having me. This is uh, this is pretty cool. I've known Lindsay for several years now, and you work right down the street at Westchester University, mm-hmm. which is what twenty minutes outside of Philly, half hour maybe. I mean, you've done some amazing things. Just reading this bio, it's like it's fun. I've known you all these all these years, but like I didn't I didn't know you had two master's degrees and you know and a doctorate degree, and I knew about the PhD. But I like, went to school for way too long. <laughs> but I mean, this is I think it just goes to. Um, goes to show like how, how passionate you are about this, you know, exercise psychology from Temple University after your two master's degrees, like it's, you know, after a master's degree, like it's just, uh, it's impressive. And it, I think it screams, it speaks volumes to your passion about what you Thank do. You. So, so tell me how you got into athletic training. Can we start there? Yeah, absolutely. So I actually knew that I wanted to be an athletic trainer in eighth grade. I have a, a gold banner that um, everybody in eighth grade when we were graduating got to write down like what you want to be when you grow up. And mine said a sports trainer for competitive cheerleaders um, for injuries. And I, I think honestly it was because my mom said, you did so great in anatomy and you love sports. And, you know, this would be a cool field because my old babysitter became an athletic trainer. Like that's how long we're talking in the 90s. Um, of course, I didn't really know what an athletic trainer was. Uh, and then went to high school and started looking at colleges and Lock Haven University has a a really historic athletic training program, similar to Westchester's. 
And so I went there. I played lacrosse at Lock Haven, and that's kind of what drew me there as well because uh, two of my best friends from growing up was were also playing lacrosse there. So that's how I landed there in the program. I got really lucky. Um, I got accepted. It's, it's a very competitive program, and the rest is history. It's funny, a, a previous... Uh, guest of ours, Dawn Gullick, who mm-hmm. you had the pleasure of meeting yeah. this past weekend. She texted me as well, as well as you guys. Um, she went to Lock Haven. Yes, yeah, she did. And did she play sport there? I think she did play lacrosse. I'm not sure, but yeah, she, but she became an athletic trainer in that program. And um, I believe she was there when Dave Tomasi was there. And he's, you know, a huge founder of yeah. the profession of athletic training and a big influencer. Heck yeah. And yeah, she's quite an influencer herself. Absolutely. So, uh, that's pretty neat. Um, so w- what about your athletic career kind of led you down this path, if at all, uh, towards, towards mental health? Yeah, that's a great question. So, uh, well, there were two things. First of all, personal experience, because I was a freshman in college and I started struggling with depression, but I did not know what it was because, you know, I'm 18 and we, back then, uh, we didn't talk about, I mean, really right now, very often we don't talk about mental health, although that's changing. Um, certainly with the younger generations right now and because of COVID, but you know, when I was in college, when we were in college, that was not, um, normalized. And so I didn't know what I was struggling with. Like I knew that I didn't feel like myself. I was crying all the time. I didn't want to go to lacrosse practice. I didn't want to go to class. And that was not like me. Um, so I knew something was wrong, but I thought maybe it was just, you know, I recently had my my grandmother pass away and a relationship end. So I just kind of thought that that was maybe normal, but I also knew something was wrong. And so I went to a health class. It was 7 and 9 p.m. on a Monday night, kind of like tonight. Um, <laughs> honestly, like I'll never forget the time and day, really, because that it was such a powerful moment. My health professor said, open up the textbook to this page. And here's a checklist of depression symptoms. And I looked and I read them and I remember my eyes just welling up because I was like, check, 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 check. This is me. Holy cow. And you're a, fre- you're a freshman I was at a Lock freshman Haven. at Lock Haven. And so I went back to my dorm and I called my mom because that's what you do when you're 18. I sure. said, mom, I have depression. And she, you know, and your mom, your mom's a saint before you even tell us your yeah. response. You're, I mean, your mom's an absolute saint. Uh, I know I've seen Mike yeah. and he raves about your mom. So, yeah. so, uh, what was her response? Her response was, okay, okay, well then we'll get you connected with help. And so wow. she called the counseling center the next day for me, because again, when you're 18, that's what has to happen sure. because I'm not doing that myself. Um, which speaks volumes to, you know, how much help younger kids need to actually get connected to the resources. Cause they're not going to reach out themselves. Sure. And I got into counseling and the rest was history. I, you know, finally was connected with help. And then um, you know, struggled on and off my whole life with mental health, but actually knew what to do and how to recognize it because I had that experience already. So what did you have to go? What did it take for you internally to, to go to actually like nothing? I literally went three days later because I was struggling really bad. Okay. I was in such a dark place. Um, I was on, I was borderline suicidal. I was not okay. And, um, I knew I was going to do anything to, to help myself not feel this way. But a lot of times, you know, kids aren't necessarily in that boat. The other thing is, is that I tend to be a very open person. And so I was, you know, open to, I didn't care what 
it was that somebody told me I need to do. I just wanted to not feel this way anymore. So, 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 so what about that? Um, what about that journey that you went through in counseling? Yeah. Do you feel like is now uh, indicated, not indicated? Like what, what, like what could have been better or different or was it all? Did, did, it was you great. Went through everything I mean, you that was my through. first time in counseling. Like I didn't know what to expect. And I got to tell you, I, I mean, therapy works for me really well because like I said, I'm very open. So I'm just going to blah, put it all out there. And that's how therapy works. Like the more that you're willing to be vulnerable, then therapy is going to work for you. Mm -hmm. So therapy works great for me. Um, and so I, you know, went to counseling, I think for probably a semester or two. And then I was, I had coping resources. I knew how to handle my stress and I got over it. I was, I was diagnosed with adjustment disorder, which is like an okay. umbrella um, under depression where I had a life event, like my Nana passed away, a relationship end ended and normal people, not, sorry, not normal people. People normally will grieve for, you know, a week, a couple of weeks, maybe even a month, but I got way beyond that, that point and wasn't adjusting. Right. Right. And so finally I was able to adjust because I got the coping skills that I needed to adjust with the change in my life and transition and this and that. Um, but then a few years later, I experienced depression again and, you know, recognized it a lot sooner. And so I got into counseling again way earlier than I did the first time around, right? So every time that I've experienced bouts of depression, I knew, you know, what I needed to do. It wasn't actually until after I had my first, um, after until after I had Kennedy, who's four, um, now she's four, that I experienced anxiety for the first time because I had postpartum uh, anxiety, postpartum mm -hmm. depression. And so I realized like, why am I waiting until I'm struggling to then go to counseling and therapy? So I ended up um, after Kennedy was born, uh, probably around when she was two, one and a half, two, I went into counseling when I was actually feeling great. Like I went into counseling postpartum, stopped it. And then I was feeling really good. And I said, you know, what am I, why am I waiting so I got into counseling and I've been in therapy since preventatively. And I've, my mental health has never been better in my life. Most people don't utilize therapy that way. They wait until they're in crises, which is what I did, you know, all of my young adult life. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're putting out fires as opposed to uh, what, what you're doing is you're getting ahead of it. You're totally. getting, there's no fire. There's totally. No, before there's even any right. smoke, you're, you're addressing it. Yep. So that was my own personal experience. But then on the flip side, like as far as how did I get into mental health with athletes, you know, well, first of all, when I became an athletic trainer, I thought back and I'm like, wow, I had an athletic trainer. I mean, we had, Lockhaven is a historic athletic training program. Sure. I was a student athlete. Um, my athletic trainer never asked about mental health. That was not common practice. Wow. And so I don't blame him. I actually love him and I work with him now, um, as a colleague. Um, but that was not commonplace, but I thought, you know, here we are screening for super rare cardiac conditions, like one in a million cardiac conditions that could kill an athlete on a field, right? We're screening for these things. We're doing all these different testing, all these different orthopedic assessments before we clear an athlete to play. But we weren't asking them about mental health or suicide, which you know, in college athletes, um, suicide is the second leading cause of death. Wow. So, uh, you know, why weren't we doing those things? So that started to creep up in my head. Cause I'm like, wow, that I, I could have saved a lot of distress and a lot of suffering had someone screened me and, uh, you know, asked me, how are you doing? Not physically, but mentally. 
What are some of the downstream effects that, that, that you've seen or that have been studied beyond college, right? Like, cause I, we all know people who, like I played college sports and we all know people who went through things in college and it's like, who knows what happened, you know, later on, or I mean, there's been suicides later on, right? I've, three teammates, uh, four teammates in college that have since passed. Wow. Um, one, one in particular was a suicide. The other ones were overdoses, but, uh, who's to say experiences in college didn't, mm-hmm. you know, perpetuate that or, you know, somehow influence mm-hmm. that negatively or positively, but was, yeah. you know, um, so I'm curious what, are, are you aware of any downstream effects? Well, specifically as it relates to athletes, the research, um, on athletes and mental health is only, just starting the past, like I would say 10 years, um, literature has started increasing and now it's just been booming. I mean, so many journals and actually there's, there's really not enough journals, um, out there to publish, uh, the, the mental health athletes, um, research that has been coming out of labs all over the country and internationally too, uh, because people are realizing like, well, we've really missed the boat here. This has been going on for decades, um, centuries really, but, um, especially with how competitive sports have gotten over the past several decades. And now that um, leading organizations like the NCAA, like the National Athletic Trainers Association have put out consensus statements saying we need to be addressing mental health in athletes, the research has been following. However, even given that, I mean, we're talking only 10 years of research. That's not that, that much. And so there's still a lot that we don't know about mental health in athletes. And so specifically looking at retirement. So after college, after high school, after college, um, there's some literature that talks about the relationship between like athletic identity and uh, mental health and losing that athletic identity once they retire or post major injury or catastrophic injury. There's some literature there that, that there is a relationship between mental health and retirement, um, a negative uh, relationship. Um, but yeah, there's, there's really not that much out there at all. So, so what the inspiration behind the app, I understand. And, 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 you know, the screening process, Mm -hmm. can you, can you share a little bit about the screening process, what it entails Mm -hmm. and, um, and how's it, how's it utilized? How should it be utilized? Yeah. So I, first I would, I would recommend anyone who's looking into learning more about mental health screening or just addressing mental health in athletes, especially at the collegiate level, read the uh, NCAA best practices document um, because that document is fantastic. It um, will give a breakdown on the, the exact steps that need to be taken to create a mental health management plan. So, you know, the first thing is identifying a mental health provider. So you're not going to address mental health in anybody, in a patient and an athlete, if you don't have resources to then follow up with that, right? You're not going to ask someone if they're suicidal and then they say yes. And you say, great, I have no idea what to do with this information, right? right? right. That's the last place you want to be. So uh, this document, you know, walks you through the different steps. And so once you have a mental health provider who you've, uh, you, you, can work with and you could refer to at least one person and that you can say like, Hey, can we collaborate to create a mental health management plan for whatever it is, my institution, my high school, my clinic, whatever. Um, is this usually like, a, and again, um, I'm going to apologize probably one of many, many times no. that my, my lack of knowledge in this field, mm-hmm. uh, is, uh, will be apparent this episode. <laughs> 
share with me who that who it like what position is is that sports psychologist is that like who who is that person yeah great great question so well first of all i will start by saying there is a um huge need right now um for mental health providers in our country like we are um deficient as it as it relates to having access to resources in our country number one because of uh, insurance issues, but also just access. Like there are not enough mental health providers wow. for the, the mental health distress in our country. And that was true before the pandemic. Now in COVID it's, it's a crisis. Um, yeah. And actually um, several States have declared it a crisis to where they are, um, you know, p- pouring money into right. incentives for, for people to get degrees in, um, uh, mental health fields and then get into very uh, rural areas that do not have access to mental health providers. So, um, and, and I'll also throw this stat out there because this is just mind blowing to yeah, me. Please. 55% of counties in the U S right now do not have access to a single psychiatrist. Wow. 55% of counties. That was a, a, a um, stat from SAMSHA. Uh, that they they conduct uh, looking at so much information on mental health and substance use in the U.S. And that stat, I'm just like, yeah, there's a huge um, uh, issue right now. I think in the Northeast, we're almost blinded by, or it's it's because of what we don't know, but Mm -hmm. counties here aren't like, we can get the five counties in like an hour, you know what Mm -hmm. I mean, around here. Mm Across the United States, that's not, that's not yeah. the case. Mm-mm. I mean, in some of these rural, more rural states, I mean, it, you may be in a county for two hours, you know, three hours, driving through one county. So um, to, to, be, to have to drive yeah. a couple of hours or multiple hours mm-hmm. to access, uh, you know, a psychiatrist, that, that's wild. Yeah. So, um, so my wow. point in, in sharing that is that, uh, there are so many different me- types of mental health providers. Sure. And at the end of the day, if they are a licensed mental health provider and that's the only one that you can get access to, then that's good. That's fine. Right. As long as Fair. they're a licensed mental health provider. So you're going to have um, your psychiatrists, which are physicians, right? They're MDs or DOs who then got a, did a resident residency in psychiatry. So they're going to be the practitioners who will write, um, psychotropic medication prescriptions and oversee, um, you know, uh, mental health issues. Um, sometimes they'll do psychotherapy, although generally they're going to refer to a psychologist or a, a licensed professional counselor. Okay. So a psychologist is someone who has a PhD or a PsyD, a doctorate in psychology, um, who did at least five years of education and clinical work um, in psychotherapy and generally will specialize. Sometimes they, they stay broad, but will specialize in something like eating disorders or what have you. Okay. And so then you hear, hear sports psychologist, right? right. Um, and the, the problem is, is that right now there is no certification to be or call yourself a sports psychologist. So anyone who is a psychologist can hang a shingle on their door and say, I'm a sports psychologist. And Interesting. Um, yeah, so that's, that's problematic because there's no regulation, there's, yeah, right? There's no standardization right. of, of the position. Right? right. There's at least regulation of the term psychologist though, in right. almost every state. And so not, you know, any, any uh, Joe Schmo can't just call themselves a psychologist. So, 
Uh, but you just want to be careful. You just want to know. So if you right. if you meet someone who says I'm a sports psychologist, great. You know what what credentials do you have, or uh, what experience do you have working with athletes? Because well, just because you've worked with one athlete doesn't mean you're a sports psychologist. What would you be looking for? Great question. So I would be looking for number one: Are they affiliated with any professional sports psychology associations? So the two main ones are going to be the Association for Applied Sports Psychology, or ASP, A A S P. Okay. And then the other one is the American psychological association division 47 and that's the sports psychology division of apa and so if they're affiliated with those organizations then they're in the know they they, you know they are associated with the sports psych field that's number one and then number two um, i would just look for how many athletes have you worked with in what ways and for how long so you know if they've only been working with athletes for a year um I don't know, uh, you know, maybe if they were an athlete for 15 years and in college and then became a, a psychologist, I would give that a decent amount of credit, right? Because they know the idea behind it is, does this person know the culture of sports? That's the ticket. That's the key. Yeah, this is this is hot stuff because there are, I know of a local team, a private school, uh, it's, a, it's a female sport. They have a sports psychologist come in every Monday and work with the girls to what extent? I don't, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and you hear that and you're like, Oh heck yeah. Sports psychologists working with, like, that's great. Mm-hmm. And are the coaches asking these questions? Who is teeing this up? Mm-hmm. Uh, is it a parent that's, you mm-hmm. know, getting this done or what have mm-hmm. you? And, and nothing's wrong with it, but are they asking those same questions? Yeah. Cause you would, I would think a parent would be more inclined to ask those questions mm-hmm. for their own child. And yeah. not that a coach wouldn't. Right. But mm-hmm. um, I think that th- these are questions we need to know. We need to advocate, right? Totally. ourselves in medicine, especially totally. in mental health. So we, we need to know what questions to ask. So uh, thank you for sharing that. And I'll also throw out there too, that um, I, I would venture to guess actually that that person probably isn't a licensed psychologist and sports psychologist. I'm, I'm just throwing that out there. They might not be right. because sometimes the parents will say, oh, there's a sports psychologist because they hear that they're doing psychology like things. Yep. So the other, there is a credential out there that's important to, to know about. And it's the C- PMC. It's a certified performance or sorry, sorry, CMPC certified mental performance consultant. And so different. Yes, that's different. So that is actually the credential given or provided by the ASP association for applied sports psychology. And so that's a credential that focuses on performance enhancement, sports psychology, right? right? So different from clinical psychology, like clinical mental health issues. Now, granted, there are lots of sports psychologists, actual licensed psychologists out there who earned their CMPC um, because they, they do both. They do performance enhancement, sports psych work and clinical uh, mental health work with athletes. Uh, But, but very often sports psychologists will do one or the other, or, you know, um, they might have a practice where they work with a team and they might do some team building and and performance enhancement stuff. And then, um, you know, where they see patients or athletes individually to, to treat mental health issues. Would this uh, person on, on the team that, right? Like, cause we're talking to this all coming from the tree of, okay, we need to put a team together to Mm -hmm. be able to be more aware of this. Would this person be diagnosing? uh, Is that, is that the goal that they would be diagnosing what the, what the condition is and then offer some type yeah. of intervention. Is yeah. That the plan? Yeah. So, you know, if you, well, first of all, 
it could cost a lot of money to have a sports psychologist like on your staff, right? Or, or like at your school or sure. something like that. And so usually we're just looking for like affiliations. So, um, you know, you might say, hey, there's this uh, local sports psychologist who um, is in town, who's interested in, in collaborating, working with us. So we're going to get together. We're going to write this mental health management plan. Like, What are the, the, the main things that you want to focus on are, what are our referral protocols? So if we identify a patient or an athlete that may have a mental health issue or we see or, or believe may be in distress, mental health distress, what are the steps that we're going to take to connect them with this person or any mental health provider? And these are steps taken by the administration? Yeah. Or, or even it could be the coaches. Trainer, it could coaches. be the athletic trainer. Gotcha. It could be the team physician, any healthcare provider or person in that, in the athletes, you know, network. Yeah. This is the how. Right? This like, is the how. Yeah. I, I love this. This is, this is, I'm soaking this up. Um, all right. Thank you. That That's like huge because now we're talking about actually implementing, mm -hmm. right? Like the, these, these fantastic ideas. Um, okay. So what else is a part of that, a, a part of that, um, uh, I guess the process. The process yeah. yeah. Well, the other thing that I'll throw out there too is um, finding a sports psychologist is really difficult because the field is very small, um, very niche. And so it's growing but it's definitely not where the demand is right now, which is also great for the field, for people entering the field. Um, schools are really starting to recognize like, hey, this is, this is, you know, the next thing. This is what we have to focus sure. on is mental health and, and performance and as it relates to performance enhancement, right? A lot of coaches are buying into that now, oh, finally. That, we're, we're seeing it left and right. Yes. I would say one in five of my athletes, and again, Newtown Square is a little bit of a... Um, uh, d demographic perspective there, you know, they, they do well in this area. So it doesn't surprise me that, you know, they have the resources to be able to access these, you know, these types of professionals. I have athletes that we'll see one, two, mm -hmm. you know, different sports psychologists. Mm -hmm. um, and again, I don't ask, the, I haven't asked those questions, but I'm going to, I'm curious, Yeah. you know, you yeah. know what kind of uh, credentials and experience. Right. Yeah. Right. So the, what I was going to say is, finding a sports psychologist may be difficult depending on where you're at. Right. And so um, let's say you're putting together a mental health management plan. You're at a, at a high school or a college or, you know, a clinic and you're, you want to create a, a, a plan, um, but you want to be able to refer your athletes to a mental health provider who has experience with athletes. And that really is important. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, if you can't find someone, okay because as long as they're a licensed mental health provider like that's you know they're going to be able to provide help to someone who's in mental health distress but research has shown that athletes are significantly more likely to accept help and continue getting help for mental health if they see someone who is trained in sports um, because they get it yep. they, they they're speaking their language trust. they don't want to trust and exactly they don't want to have to um, open up and talk about their struggles with someone who really doesn't even understand the world of sports because it is very specific. You know that. Sure. Ab yeah. Absolutely. I mean, even from a PT, uh, as a physical therapist, mm -hmm. if you have zero experience or as a coach, you have zero experience playing a sport or that specific sport. If you're a coach, I mean, what credibility do you have, <laughs> you know, to tell me on how I should, you know, cut or change direction or <laughs> do an exercise or practice. So, yeah. Um, and if you're having coach or inter, you know, team issues or performance problems, which inevitably 
if they're having mental health issues, they're going to be having issues on the field and in, and, you know, within their sport, um, it's connected and it doesn't, it sometimes it's caused by the sport and sometimes it's not. And so finding a mental health provider who is trained in sports psychology is, is ideal. But, um, one alternative to that is finding a mental health provider who's willing to learn about the culture of sport, because, you know, especially if you find a mental health provider who is looking to expand their practice, um, and, you know, uh, take on more clients. And so, Hey, Maybe they played sports in high school, but they don't really have training. Maybe they could take a couple of classes at a local community college or online. There's actually tons of online sports psych programs now. Um, or at the very least, come out to practices and like meet the teams and get to know and learn the culture. And so that can happen. And I've seen that happen. And actually, uh, Princeton University even did that. Like I was at Temple getting my doctorate and they sent a, a sports psychologist down and they're like, we want to train him. He's, he's, and he went and got his CMPC and, uh, you know, and, and took classes in sports psych and became Princeton's sports psychologist. That's awesome. Yeah. So, all right. So what else is next in the, and in, yeah. in the, um, in the steps. Health, yeah. yeah. Pro, yeah so, so you would, you want to create a, a mental health referral protocol. So a yep. routine protocol, like, uh, you know, you identify or observe something related to their mental health that, uh, you are concerned about this person, right? So then what are the steps that we take, which generally are pretty easy, but you want them to be specific. Like you're going to talk to the patient privately, not in front of other athletes. You're going to um, offer them a referral and offer is key because you cannot force someone sure. to get help for their mental health. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's really important too, that's because extremely important. yeah, you know, if therapy doesn't work, if the person doesn't want to be there. So forcing someone is not going to work. Um, the only caveat or exception to that is when someone is at risk of harming themselves or others. And we can talk about that later. Right. Um, and then number two, creating an emergency referral protocol. So this is someone who is in active crisis right now, right? right. So, you know, and, and honestly, like every um, business, like your clinic should have an emergency mental health uh, crisis yeah. protocol. So wow. we could talk about like, what Please. would that look like? And, uh, you know, what would we do? So, you know, this is everything from um, someone who is actively suicidal. So, which is different by the way, than just having thoughts about suicide and death. Um, sometimes we confuse those two because they, they to, especially to someone who's never had suicidal thoughts, it might seem like the same thing. But having thoughts about death or having like wanting to die or not even wanting to die, but not wanting to feel this way anymore or be here, which is might resonate with, um, you know, some listeners, unfortunately, because that's how common it is, um, is very different than having intentions to die right. or to kill yourself. Right. So we're getting really deep here. <laughs> yeah, no, but the, the intentions component would be an emergency. Correct. Imagine, right? As Correct. As thoughts, right? Correct. So an uh, 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 um, emergency action plan would outline, like, um, you know, here are the different things that we would recognize as an emergency mental health crisis. So that would include intention um, to, to um, harm themselves or others. And, and I should also say there is a difference between harm and suicide too, because self-harm is actually really common sure, um, and is not the same as, as suicide. Um, but and, and therefore reported differently. Correct. Well, right? Yeah. And doesn't always mean that the person wants to die. It's, right. it's often used as a coping mechanism to, um, to deal with pain. 
Sure. Um, and so, you know, it would include suicide. It would also include um, halluc- visual or auditory hallucinations. Um, someone who's having a, a psychosis episode or disassociation episode. And, and you would likely recognize this because you know your patients, right? If we're talking about your clinic, like, sure. you know your patients. And so if someone came in and they did not seem right, they, they weren't, maybe they seemed like they were hearing things or they were talk, like talking and no one was there. Um, and, and you would know because they would seem off, right? That would be a mental health emergency. And so you don't want that patient to get back in their car and drive home. Like right. that's not good. What I would say this, like, let's take it one step further. You, a teammate notices this, a coach yep. notices this, Correct. A, a parent notices this mm-hmm. of someone else, right? Someone else's yep. child on the team seemed a little off when they dropped them off at home or mm-hmm. what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think it's important that not only a physical therapist, a clinic director, or, yeah. or, you know, what have you know, know this, but like, what are the right steps? Who yeah. do you contact? Yep. And, and if you have this program in place, mm-hmm. you know, it, it seems like the training will be there for, for, the team to be aware of. Okay. Yeah. I go to this person here. Here's the next. Correct. Step. Yep. And okay. so the, I will refer to the NCAA mental health best practices checklist. Cause e- no matter what setting you're talking about that, I think it's such a great resource because they're going to tell you like, here's the steps. But at the end of the day, the real step is when someone's in a mental health crisis, you do not leave them unless you are at risk for yourself. So sure. if they're, if they become violent, obviously then, you know, you need to keep yourself safe, sure. but, the major overwhelming majority of the time now. And first of all, I should also mention that mental health emergencies are pretty rare. Like overwhelmingly, the majority of mental health issues are not um, going to end in mental health crises, but we still need to prepare to prepare for them. So we all get CPR certified. Correct. Exactly. Exactly. And so the, you know, the main steps are just don't leave the person. And so if you feel comfortable and can get this person to a mental health provider, you know, let's say there's a therapist that they know of and you can bring them to the office, great, or call the, their mental health provider. Um, and if not, then you bring the person to the hospital. Okay. Yeah. And there's also, you know, local, you can look up your local county crisis centers. Like we have um, the Valley Creek Crisis Center in Chester County, um, that I'm aware of and, and, you know, every County generally has like different resources. So if you look up your County website, there's going to be different mental health crisis resources there. Awesome. So uh, in addition to the, all right, so you need you identify your, your, your sports psychologist, mm-hmm. uh, you've reviewed the referral pr- uh, protocol, uh, emergency, non-emergency. Correct. What, what, uh, what, what, like I'm building a program here, so yeah, I want to get yeah. all the details. What, what, like what else, what else we got? Yeah, not so, that that's not enough. No. But. Yeah. So then once you have all of those things in place, mm-hmm. that's when now you can implement things that are going to be more on the preventative end because very often, um, schools and, healthcare providers, they, they want to do these things like mental health screening or um, education workshops. And I'm not saying not to have education workshops, but if you're going to have a workshop on learning about mental health and recognizing suicide signs of suicide, you need to have those protocols in place. So as long as you get those first few steps down, that's first. And then you can start identifying your building, your actual program of here's the workshop, the educational workshops, things that we're going to do to create an environment that promotes mental health and that supports mental health. So that can include mental health screening. 
right? Yeah. Well, yeah. How, how many, and I, we're going to get into this mental health screening in just a second. How many schools, in your opinion, mm-hmm. uh, across the country, whether college or high school, whatever mm-hmm. stat you feel like you may have, mm-hmm. actually have something like this mm-hmm. implemented? Yeah, not many. Uh, actually, there there was a study done a few years ago, Crocious, um, in the Journal of Athletic Training, looking at the mental health management and screening practices of athletic trainers in the collegiate setting. Um, and uh, not surprisingly, Division One had the, the, the highest um, prevalence of actually having a protocol in place, a, a plan in place, and did mental health screening. And as you went down the ranks to Division Two and Three, with less resources, typically um, way uh, uh, smaller ratios, or sorry, larger ratios of athletes to healthcare providers, that that the practices kind of dropped off. Um, and so I think it was like in the 80% range for division one and a lot less for division two and three, that study has not even been done in high schools. And I can tell you from just anecdotally knowing, uh, the field, especially in Pennsylvania, um, most high school athletic trainers are not screening for mental health, um, mostly because they just don't have the time and resources. So what does that screening typically consist of? And then I want to hear about, about your, yeah. your, your screening yeah. program. Well, the NATA, that's the National Athletic Trainers Association, and the NCAA um, actually recommend a battery of mental health uh, surveys. So you want to use a validated mental health screening tool or, or multiple tools. That is key. You do not want to put together your own questions of, about mental health because it's, if it's not a validated screener, then you're not actually screening them um, and you don't know if you're actually capturing what you intend to capture, such as athletes who are actually struggling with depression symptoms, with anxiety, et cetera. So validated meaning proven by research, Correct. right? So in, in, in medicine, we have certain things that we do like tests uh, that we do, whether it's, you know, a, a special test for the rotator cuff <laughs> or it's, you know, a screening assessment mm-hmm. um, that we do that has to go through a battery of uh, essentially research that determines how valid or, or credible really that that resource is to identify or not identify what we're looking for. Right. Exactly. And this would be an example of, of, of what you're saying is make sure you use a validated one, mm-hmm. not one where, you know, you threw together a handful of questions that are similar to other ones. Correct. It needs to be validated. Correct. Awesome. Yeah. And the, the, that research, those research studies, um, and the more that a survey is researched, the better, um, are also going to provide validated cut scores. And what that means is like you, you know, score the the screening tool, however it's supposed to be scored. And then the research tells us, okay, at what score, like a 10 or higher, for example, on the patient health questionnaire nine, that's a really common depression screen. Um, a 10 or higher would indicate clinically relevant depression symptoms, uh, moderate to severe depression symptoms, which would warrant a referral of a follow-up and a referral with that athlete or that patient. So that's what you, you know, need to look for as well. And so the NATA and NCAA do recommend a handful of different batteries uh, or battery of, of mental health screening tools that are validated um, and are free and open source. Um, that includes depression, anxiety, eating disorders, alcohol use, ADHD, and insomnia. Okay. And, and so there would be, uh, the battery of tests may have may cover a few of those, all of those. Mm-hmm. How inclusive are the tests? Uh, yeah. And I know there's 
Probably not a simple answer. Mm-hmm. But how inclusive are the tasks? Yeah, so there are some tools out there that combine a variety of mental health issues to just give you an overall, like, this person is in mental health distress and this person is not. However, um, those tests usually really struggle with either sensitivity or specificity, which we sure. don't really have to go down the stats road. <laughs> uh, I got you. But, but they're either going to have tons of false positives or tons of um, false negatives. And you don't really want either with mental health. Um, although I'd rather have more false positives because you, if you have a false negative, meaning someone, you slip know, through the cracks. slip through the cracks. Exactly. And with mental health, we don't want people to slip through the cracks. Right. And so generally with the tools that there, there are a handful of them, but also there's not many validated mental health screening tools for athletes. And so the ones that have been developed, you know, are not um, specific enough, um, really don't catch the athletes well um, that that may need to be referred or are struggling with with their mental health. And so um, having really good tools that are brief, you know, I mentioned the PHQ-9, for example, it's just nine questions. It takes less than 30 seconds for an athlete to fill that out generally. Yeah. That's all right. So. All right. So what, what are you guys doing now, Westchester? Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 uh, if you can answer this, how can it be better? Yeah. So I have been screening my athletes for mental health for about 15 years clinically, not at, at, just at Westchester. I've been at Westchester, I think about seven years now, but even before Westchester, you know, it started with my dissertation, was looking at depression symptoms every two weeks throughout an athletic season, and then also looking at uh, depression pre and post concussion. That was my dissertation, and uh, that was hard because I was doing paper and pencil. Sure. And you know, as an athletic trainer, you know, any healthcare provider, we have so much on our plate, and so um, I was doing it because it was part of my research, and I was really passionate about it. I still am. But I also knew that there's no way I was going to convince my colleagues or other athletic trainers to do what I was doing clinically because it was taking forever. Uh, You know, we're talking printing out all of the papers, passing them all out, giving out pens, telling them not to talk to each other because it's supposed to be private and they're leaning over, you know, looking at their teammate or whatever. Then hand scoring all of the the screening tools. You know, I was doing depression and anxiety at first because I could only do two. I didn't have time, paper and pencil, sure. to do more than that. And then, and then looking at every single score after scoring them and saying, okay, what does this score mean? What is a six? What is an eight on this one? And having to circle and, and um, categorize my the, the red flags. And then therefore care was delayed because it took forever. Sure. I was still doing it, you know? So in my head, I'm like, well, it's better than not doing it because, you know, a lot of athletic trainers or again, when I was an athlete, this wasn't even happening, uh, but it's still, it was not efficient. It took forever. It was exhausting. It's and a I lot was, of work. It's a lot have, of work. Like ATs have so much on their plate already. I say it all the time, like, and they have great hearts, uh, most of them. So it's like, oh, I want to do the rehab and I want to be able to be at practice and I want to be able to put together these screenings together and make sure we identify what we need to identify. And mm-hmm. it's just, it, there's not enough time. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're really yeah. like the, filling up water jugs. Like, are you kidding me? Like mm-hmm. that's all like, that's part of your job description. <laughs> so it, it's, it's amazing that, um, that like good for you to have the wherewithal to be like, no, this is really important. I'm going to make this a priority. Even if 
have to stay up <laughs> late every night to get it done. So, so what, what, what did that lead you to? Yeah. So that led me to, well, we started doing Google docs and then Qualtrics, which is like survey monkey, you know, online software, but even still I had to create all of the forms and then download Excel spreadsheets and sure. I was sorting data and highlighting in red. And, um, and while this was happening, I was invited to be on a committee for the Pennsylvania state athletic conference, um, where we wanted to look at the NCAA and NATA recommendations on mental health and say, Hey, what could we do as a conference and really be leaders here as it relates to mental health? Um, this was probably around 2014 or 2015. And so our committee decided, uh, our recommendation was going to be that our conference adopt the NCAA mental health best practices checklist yeah. and say, every school in our conference will do everything on this checklist as it relates to addressing mental health. And we um, were the first and currently are the only athletic collegiate conference to be doing uh, mandated the uh, mental health screening and having, uh, you know, the entire checklist adopted. And for what that's worth, um, the Peace Act, mm -hmm. uh, which I know a little bit about, uh, mm -hmm. is a, a large conference. Yeah. How many how many schools are in the Peace Act? Roughly Eight, eighteen, I it's believe. A lot. Right so this isn't like you're like or Big 20. Ten or yeah. like it's it's a it's a lot of schools. Mm -hmm. Like is Mansfield still yep, in it? Mansfield's like, in it. Like you mm -hmm. saw some of these schools that I know don't have football teams or or they've discontinued their teams, but they're still in the Peace Act. So yes. for all the other sports. So uh, I just know through Bloomsburg, but yeah, yeah, I mean, it, almost 20 schools. So that's great. And that's the entire state of PA. Yeah. There might even be a couple outside of PA. And outside of PA too. CW Post used to be, they uh -huh. changed, but, but nonetheless, that's awesome. That's a lot of schools. And I know it's the only conference, but mm -hmm. it's a step. Yeah. And, and you were a part of that committee. So it was, kudos. it was amazing. And it was unanimously adopted by our athletic directors, by the presidents of the universities. Yeah. It was really great. What a, what a victory. Like you've, you've yeah. grinded through this and I'm reflecting for a second here. I'm sorry, but like you've grinded through this, like you, you've put the time in, you've, you, you know, you were been selected to advocate for this, for the student athletes and boom, got a victory. Like, all right, we're going to do this now. We're going to adopt this program. And, and, and how has that gone? I mean, it obviously the, the work is ahead yeah. of you, but you yeah. know, well, well done. Then, it, then it was a little bit of pan panic mode because sure. it was like, okay, um, we, we decided to give the institutions two years, like a year to come up with their plan. And they had to give a draft, provide a draft of what their mental health management plan was going to be. And then a year later imp fully implement it. And so this meant go from, you know, me mental health screening, just my rugby team to, we were going to mental health screen almost 600 athletes at, at Westchester. Um, and you know, obviously all across the state too. And so suddenly I was, you know, doing spread running spreadsheets and, uh, my colleagues were saying, all right, how are we doing this then? Cause you know, obviously because, yeah. they're turning to me. Yeah. Cause you, yeah, you're passionate about it. Yeah. So you went from like, all right, I got a cool little study here and I have these athletes. No, no, no. We got to build this across the entire university. Uh -huh. So Right. Take it away, Lynn. Right. And so while this was happening, I collaborated with two of my colleagues at Westchester, Dr. Rachel Daltrey, mm -hmm. who right now is actually the director of the Counseling Center at Westchester University, and she's a sports psychologist um, with the credibility to, to back it up, and also our associate director of athletics, Kellyanne Milliner. So um, two other women who were really passionate about addressing student-athlete mental health and student-athlete wellness. 
And so we were looking to write an NCAA innovations grant on, you know, creating some sort of program or some way to address student athlete mental health. And I, you know, we had been working on it actually for about a year and just tossing around different ideas. And finally, one day I walked into the room and I said, I am so sick of spreadsheets and paper and pencil and this and that. Here's what we have to do. And I said, we need to create an app that streamlines this process for athletic trainers so we can actually do this well and it not take up all the time that athletic trainers don't have. Right. Love it. All right. And, and so what does the app consist of? Yeah. And, and how, how is it utilized and how long have you been using the app? Okay. So, well, we've been working on it for a long time. Um, you know, I, I, I work in a, st- a state school and so it's a government entity. So things tend to take a little, little oh. bit of time, yep. um, but we created it. It's called ProMotion. And essentially it's a platform that will host any mental health screening tool or any patient reported outcome survey, any survey that you want for that matter. So we could put the, the Mike wellness survey on there if we wanted. Um, but it's a platform that will host mental health screening tools and athletic trainers can send select from a library of validated mental health screeners or patient reported outcome measures, send them to their athletes entire teams at once or hundreds of athletes at once. And the meat and potatoes is, is that athletic trainers can then filter the results. It will automatically calculate and then categorize results in green, yellow, and red categories. So athletic trainers can say, show me my football team who took the depression and anxiety screens, who uh, only who red flagged and bam, here's the five athletes that red flagged for depression or anxiety that I know that I need to follow up with. And the flags are based on cutoffs. Correct. Correct. That's awesome. Thank you. How's it going? It's going well. It's going well. We um, actually launched last summer. And so we've, we've been piloting it for a couple of years at Westchester. Um, and so we launched last summer and we're, you know, ready to get into the market and grow. This is amazing. Um, what, what, uh, like, I feel like that's, that's it. Like that's a grand finale. Um, <laughs> okay. So, all right. So what next? Like what, like, let's start with the red flags, yellow flags. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. so, so why, why even yellow, right? Like the preventative, I would yeah. imagine, right? Let's yep. get ahead of it before it starts. Mm-hmm. Red, we need to do something sooner than later or right now. Mm-hmm. You tell me more. Yeah. Well, uh, what I was going to also say, cause you mentioned the cutoff scores yeah. is, um, so I'm still, you know, doing research and doing research on promotion and, and, um, uh, on student athlete mental health. And I ran a really big study a couple of years ago. I got a grant through the Eastern Athletic Trainers Association where we validated several mental health screening tools in athletes. Because surprisingly, I mentioned before, a lot of these um, mental health screening tools that are used clinically have never been validated in student athletes. Um, Hardly any of them at all have been validated in high school, but even college student athletes never been validated. Interesting. So not validated for a specific population. Correct. Correct. And it's interesting because, you know, when you think about it, it's like, well, it's validated in the general population. Does it have to be validated in a specific population? And that never even really crossed my mind, by the way, until I submitted a manuscript um, probably 10 years ago. And one of the manuscript reviewers, it was a revise and resubmit. And they said, you know, you didn't mention if this screening tool, it was the PHQ-9, the depression screen, has been validated in athletes. And I remember thinking, well, why does it have to be? Because it's validated in 
the general population in youth in different age groups, including college age groups. And so, you know, here's the cut scores. And it wasn't until I really sat down to think about it. And I started, you know, and I was screening clinically for a number of years later that I thought, you know, what if the scores that we're using aren't the right scores for athletes? And that was my you know, question, research question. Oh, yeah, that's a whole nother can of worms. Yes. Because now what's, what's beautiful is that now you have the data or you can gather the data to get those results. Correct. So we actually, we, we ran this large study where we um, had athletes at two different universities. So over a thousand athletes complete a, a whole battery of different mental health screening tools. And then we randomly selected um, and did a stratified sampling technique where we had athletes from every different type of sport randomly selected into a um, um, clinical interview where they did a clinical interview with um, a a psychology trained uh, person who was actually going to interview them about their mental health to confirm. And they were blinded to the, to the screening to confirm whether they met the criteria or not for depression, for anxiety, et cetera. And what we found was that the cutoff scores for the general population were not appropriate for college athletes. In fact, uh, for example, on the PHQ-9 and the GAD-7, which is the Generalized Anxiety Disorder Scale, um, the the cutoff scores in the general population were 10, and in college athletes were 6. Do you want to take a guess why? Oh, man. (laughs) Um, uh, I mean, off the top of my head, I would say it's... Uh, a, a stress to perform, right? I mean, I would imagine a, a stressor to perform and not to mention the academic component of it, mm-hmm. right? So they're, they're, not, they're not the gen pop, but I'm sure there's a better answer than that. Well, we, we technically haven't truly studied. The, 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 our hypotheses are, right, our right. theories are um, due to stigma and fear of right. reporting. Yeah. Oh, so, oh, fear of reporting. All right, fear I got of you. reporting. So, you know, they're... They, it doesn't mean they're not experiencing these symptoms, but likely that they are suppressing their symptoms, not coming to terms with their symptoms, or just fear of even reporting them. My, maybe my coach will find out. What if the you know what if somebody my teammate might find out? Sure. I, you know, so they tend to underreport. So um, someone you know with a six on the PHQ nine, which in the general population would just be moderate, um, you know, even potentially mild symptoms. Um, and a college athlete would indicate uh, a red flag and a referral. The same thing goes with the impact testing, right? I mean, I can tell you when I took impact testing, which is to uh, essentially get a, a baseline assessment of a, a number of, of, you know, brain functions, uh, cognitive memory, Neurocognitive performance. Exactly. I, I'm embarrassed to say this, but I'll, I'll, say, I'll say it on the podcast. I intentionally did not perform my best on the baseline. <laughs> and I'm sure I wasn't alone. And my logic was this could be my best day. Mm-hmm. I may not have my yes. best day when I'm recovering from right. a concussion. So I'm not going to perform poorly on this, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to perform my best either. Yeah. Cause I may not have my best day then. And then like I said, out another week yeah. That's my logic and yeah. come up, it's wrong, but I, no, I, I, yeah. it, it applies yeah. to this is I don't know who's seeing this and the stigma mm-hmm. of, of uh, not being able to pass that test. Um, exactly. Interesting. This is fascinating. What, um, 
All right, let's dive deeper into this. So, yeah. so, so, what were the what were the findings from from this yeah. from from this from this essentially yeah. blinded study that you did? Yeah. So we we found that the cutoff scores were lower, um, and and so a, a six on the PHQ nine, a six on the G eighty seven were you know had better sensitivity and specificity. Uh, we're going to catch the athletes that we needed to identify who were struggling, um, and. The great thing is, is that now we built that into promotion. So you can um, administer the, the regular PHQ-9 with the regular cutoff scores or the college athletes version of the PHQ-9, which would include lower cut scores. So they'll red flag at a lower score. So you'll re- you're really going to catch the athletes who are likely struggling. What about clustering tests? Is that being done to, to improve sensitivity and specificity? Like Meaning like take a series of tests because we do that in physical therapy all the time, mm-hmm. right? In athletic training as well. Yeah, yeah, potentially. But again, it's not been studied. Gotcha. So uh, oh, that's, so raw. there's, yeah, there's a lot of room for um, growth and a lot yeah. of room for research here. Interesting. Um, all right. So, so what, what next and, and what, um, here's a question for you. Mm-hmm. What, what sports are you finding that like these athletes need to take these, a questionnaire of some type or an assessment? All athletes. Good for you. It's every sport. It's cool. every sport. It, you know, it's funny. Um, I, I work with the women's rugby team, right? And so they've been getting screened, you know, the coach that I work with, he, uh, they've been getting screened from me for almost eight years now. Um, and so one really cool thing, and this is something to, um, you know, for all of the listeners to consider is that um, as you change the environment, you are going to notice more and more athletes who are struggling with their mental health. And the key word there is notice because they're going to be more likely to be open and actually report their symptoms. And so that happened with rugby. Like when I first started, everyone was fine, right? Everyone was fine. And then um, after a few years of, of mental health screening, I was referring more and more and more. Um, and now, uh, you know, my more recent studies have shown when I just look at sports at my institution, for example, that, that um, the rugby team experiences way more uh, mental health issues, but that's not true. It's just that they're reporting more mental health symptoms. And so as you change the environment, the reporting is going to go up, which is a good thing. How do you, how do you optimize the environment? Can you optimize the environment? Yeah, you optimize the, that's a great question. You optimize the environment by doing things that address and talk about mental health openly. So, um, for example, with my athletes, I, you know, talk about mental health in almost every single conversation. So, you know, I'm treating their knee injury and we're talking about their knee and then I'm asking about their sleep and I'm asking about how they're feeling. And then when they say, well, my knee hurts a little bit. And I'm like, no, no, no. How are you feeling? Really? How are you feeling? And then sometimes they'll look at me and pause. And I'm like, do you want to talk about this privately? Because again, we're in an athletic training facility, you know, in a PT clinic, like someone's not just going to open up about depression or I haven't slept or I'm really struggling right in front of everyone. So I always give them the option to talk to me. Hey, do you need to, you know, we can go into the physician's exam room or the private um, evaluation room. Um, And interestingly, a lot of times I say, okay, and then, you know, we go in the room and we're working on their knee and just having a chat about their mental health. Um, 
And it's really important also to recognize that none of us are mental health providers. And so we're not providing any therapy. I'm not really providing any feedback at all. I'm just listening. And so if this person seems like they're struggling, like if they get emotional or they tell me that they're struggling, really the conversation doesn't even need to continue. It just needs to be, okay, it really sounds like you're struggling here. And I, I, want to be here for you, but also I can't help you with this because I'm not a mental health provider, but I can connect you with someone who can. And, and I really think that's going to be helpful. So being able to have those conversations, that's going to change the environment. How, uh, how does it work? How does it work with parents? I feel like high yeah. school would be so challenging because yeah. you can, you can, I don't even know if you can, can you say that to a high school? You can say that to a high school athlete, but you can't, uh, what can you say and what can't you say to yeah. a high school athlete, right? What are the do's and don'ts? Yeah, that's a great question. So, well, again, this should be in your protocol. Right. You Fair. know, when, when you're talking about minors, it needs to be in your mental health protocol because you're not going to really start having these. It doesn't mean you can't ever talk about mental health, but if you're going to be doing referrals, et cetera, you want it built into your protocol and you want um, the school to know what you're doing and what your mental health, you know, referral protocol is going to be. But in general, um, with a minor, if, if you have someone who's um, experiencing distress um, and you have a conversation with them, generally you're going to bring into the conversation, I really think that um, we should talk to your parents about this. Now, if it's someone who's just saying, I'm sad and, you know, I'm having a bad day, um, I, you know, I don't think that means that you need to call up the parent and tell them. But if you are seriously concerned that a child, that, that one of a youth athlete is struggling with depression or anxiety then having a conversation with them and saying, listen, I am so worried about you. We need to call your parents, you know, or your guardian and have this conversation. And the, the difficult thing with minors is, is that sometimes the parents can be a part of the mental health distress, maybe more than sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, but so, you know, obviously you want to vet out that there's no abuse issues or anything like that. Um, and if, if ever you're uncomfortable or you're unsure that's when you're going to say, well, let's just go down to the counseling office or call up the, you know, school psychologist and say, let's, you know, can you help me vet this and go through this? So, so in implementing this and, and, and I, I, let me comment on that first. I think it's fantastic that you bring that up because there are parents who listen to this or athletes who listen to this. We need to understand, okay, what, like, what can we do? What's mm -hmm. too much? What's mm -hmm. within our, in our lane and what's not in our lane. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think being aware of that and, and even for the athlete to be aware of that is extremely important. So mm -hmm. I, I think that holds a lot of value um, and right there and of itself, especially with the high school athlete. Are, are, can parents, what, when is it appropriate to implement, you know, to use your app and, and implement these questionnaires? Um, and do you have any suggestions on like where to start with that? Can a parent, because I'll be honest with you, if I, there's going to be a lot of parents that listen to this mm -hmm. and they're going to say, oh, I want to get on the app and I want to give it to my son, Tommy, yeah. <laughs> and I want to make sure he's okay. And, and that sounds like the, the, uh, the demeanor is great. Yeah, there. Like yeah. that's love, right? Yeah. But I, I, when is it appropriate right. and, and who should be administering this, Got it. Uh, this type of test? Great, great question. So, well, let me, let me put this aside. So promotion is built for, um, any entity like athletic trainers, team physicians, sports psychologists, or even schools, because that's, that's a whole nother ball game that schools are starting. And there's some States that are starting to pass bills that will require a mental health screening for the entire school for students. Because again, what we were talking about before students don't have access to mental health providers individually. And so if the school can do a screening, a screener, and then connect them directly with 
mental health resources in the school, that's that's a win. Yeah, you're getting on a whole nother level now. A whole I mean, nother we're level. Talk, we're talking like yeah, serious yes. stuff that our country has unfortunately experienced over right. the last several years that right. we may be able to address, identify. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, we built promotion so that mental health screening could be done on a large scale. But if you're talking about like one individual clinician or a parent who's like, I, I kind of want to do this, this screening tool, anybody can administer a PHQ-9, a depression screening tool by just taking it online. There's websites called, I mean, one's mdcalc.com that has the PHQ-9, different mental health screening tools that you just click through and it will give you a score and tell you like, yeah, this, that you are struggling with, you know, severe depression symptoms or mild depression symptoms. And so I don't think there's anything wrong with that as long as the person who's giving it has a plan with what we're doing with this information. Right, they own their own mini program, right? Right. Like, so like if you're a parent, exactly. If you're a parent and you're concerned, I mean, honestly, I love the idea of like saying to your kid, listen, I'm really worried about you. You don't even have to talk to me about it, especially if the, you know, your child is uncomfortable talking to you about mental health, which that that means that maybe we want to start more conversations around that if they are. Um, but that, that could be a reality for a lot of families. And so you could say, would you at least fill this out and, and show me what it says, you know, because I'm worried about you and I think you might be struggling with anxiety or depression, but I'm not sure. Right. And so they could take that and see what their symptoms are. Now, this is all saying that the person, the kid is going to be honest, which we talked about before, like underreporting, and you can't force someone to, you know, tell you their symptoms. You're not going to, you know, strangle it out of, out of them. So this is all saying that the, the person's going to be honest, but, you know, a parent could use something like that online to then use as a resource to say, listen, this is what, it, to, to start the conversation. That's what it's all about. It's just starting sure. a conversation. Look, it, you said that you're not sleeping several days over the past two weeks. You said that, you are experiencing extreme guilt. You know, these are feelings that, you know, I'm upset or a sad, you know, I'm, I'm sad for you that you're having. And I don't think you have to have. That's the other thing too, is having conversations where you give permission to people, especially kids, that it's okay to not be okay. Yeah, well yeah. said. Uh, Question for that. <laughs> That's in the scenario that the parent is like super open and willing. <laughs> Wouldn't we wish that they were all? Yeah. What if you, you know, an athlete is listening to this high school college mm -hmm. and their parent is so yeah. receptive. Yeah, that's really common, unfortunately. Um, you know, I have athletes and this like um, could make me cry. I have athletes who say to me, um, I've been struggling for four years or five years or whatever it is, several years, but my parents don't believe in mental health, which, you know, I'm like, it's not like it's a unicorn. It's not like it's yeah. something, but unfortunately, because it's something that we sometimes can't see, sure. you know, a lot of people are just like, well, just, you know, um, suck it up that whole mentality. Yeah. And so that is very common. Um, I get that a lot. And so if you don't have, um, resources through your parents, I would say reach out to someone in your school because there will be someone in your school who will listen. And um, that could be your athletic trainer, crossing my fingers that your school has an athletic trainer. If you're an athlete, 
Um, and I'm assuming if you're listening to this podcast, you probably are an athlete. And so go talk to your athletic trainer and say, can I talk to you privately? They might be a little thrown off first at first, especially if they don't normally mental health screen, but guess what? They know that this is part of their job is overseeing the overall healthcare. And I promise you they will listen. Um, and all it takes is just saying, I think something's wrong. Like, I don't feel like myself. I'm crying all the time or I feel really anxious. I feel like I can't leave my room. You know, you're having feelings that are, this is the key, disrupting your normal activities of your life, right? Not allowing you to enjoy your sport or feeling too anxious when you're on the field or not enjoy or not doing well in school and you normally were, right? Or not wanting to go out with your friends. Those are all key signs um, that, you know, something might be going on with your mental health. And so if you're, you know, a kid listening who is struggling with their mental health and you're not really sure where to turn an athletic trainer, a school counselor, even a teacher is a good idea. Yeah. I, I ask, right. ask who, who can I talk to about this? You know, I'm, I'm struggling with something and I, it, that takes a degree of vulnerability, which athletes in general are not good at doing. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, in my opinion, it, you know, um, there's a lot to that, and I'm sure you can elaborate more on that than I can. But uh, that vulnerabilities it takes a lot, and uh, but I think I think I also think today now more than when I was younger, I think it's more acceptable mm-hmm. for someone to say like, I'm struggling with this right Absolutely. now. You know, to see tears on the field, it's like that. When I was younger, it's like what's wrong? You, you're being a wimp. Like mm-hmm. cut that out. Uh, it's like it's okay now. It's mm-hmm. you know applauded as it should be. Yeah. Um. So this kind of connects. I'm going to connect some dots on this. Mm-hmm. You talked about performance on the field, right? So if you, you know, college, right, let's put it in perspective. Um, Westchester University, let's go Bloomsburg University because I have a bias. Um, Bloomsburg University has this, you know, four-star recruit and we're just not seeing the performance and we, you know, we, you know, they go through the screening and we identify that there are some flags here, you know, yellow, red, what have you. Address the flags. Can we expect, expect isn't the right word, the likelihood of an improvement mm-hmm. in performance is that possible like yeah. like like and i think like what, what are the pros to this right like in a selfish world that yeah. unfortunately we live in what are the pros to giving this to my athletes other than taking them off the field or you know i yeah. you know telling them something's wrong with them when there really isn't right the old school mentality yeah. i disagree with yes right so to, yeah, yeah, to elaborate yeah. on that if you don't mind yeah. And there's, there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack there. So, um, well, sorry, I do that. A no, lot. that's great. It's, it's so, because that question is needed. I mean, number one, this is, this is huge also that I should throw out there. Cause we're going to talk about the performance part, but, um, a huge myth is the idea that if we address mental health, um, that, that athletes often believe that if I report my symptoms, um, that means number one, that there's something wrong with me. Um, or that I'm crazy, right? That's the myth. That's the stigma that I'm crazy. And number two, that I am going to be pulled from my sport. And so one huge important aspect of the um, education piece to this is making sure that you ensure your athletes two things. If you're, you know, doing this with all athletes, um, you know, mental health screening is saying, number one, you are never going to be removed from play because you're struggling with your mental health. And the only exception to that is if you are actively suicidal, you know, or, or may um, harm somebody else. And again, that's pretty rare. Um, and so you're not going to be pulled from your sport because you're struggling with anxiety or depression. And number two is that no one is going to know about the results of this screening. If you're a collegiate athlete, if you're an adult, 
um, other than you and your healthcare provider. And so you're co- we are not going and telling your coaches or your teammates about, you know, these results or that you, um, you know, are experiencing elevated depression symptoms or that we referred you to the counseling center. Like that is all private information and they need to be insured that because um, otherwise they're not going to tell us if they're struggling. Right. Okay. So they're protected one way or another. Obviously, in, you know, in, in our field, we have HIPAA, right? Correct. Um, but in, in this case, they yeah. are, they are, they had, they must be insured. Yeah. Okay. And it's hard because sometimes, and the reason why that needs to be emphasized is because when you think about when athletes injure themselves physically, who's one of the first people to know other than the athlete and maybe the parents, the coach, Right. And so we're, you know, the coach wants to get all the information. When, how did they get hurt? When can they come back to play? Right. And how, or how are they doing and when can they come back to play? And so they're privy to that information almost always. And so that's the norm in sport. And so now all of a sudden we have this healthcare information related to mental health and this is different. Um, And that means educating not just the athletes, by the way, but also the coaches, because very often the coaches are like, well, tell me what's going on. What's going on with this athlete? I need to know. I want to get the, you know, no, you're not going to get that information. And in fact, even the athletic trainers often struggle with this. And I have to educate athletic trainers about this all the time, that once you refer your athletes to a mental health provider, you're not getting that information back about, are they going to therapy? How often are they? Is it working? Is it yada, yada? Because mental health providers, mental health providers cannot release that information. I mean, they're not even releasing that information to the police, let alone to athletic trainers or, you know, the coaches. Well said. Uh, that's, yeah. That's, that's interesting. So, yeah. um, so do you mind tapping into the performance so, yeah, piece? The performance piece yeah. Yeah. And if there's anything, I, I know that was a long question I had yeah, before, no. but if there's, I, I think you hit just about the rest of it, but I'm curious, can we like, is it fair to expect, right? Yeah. I, Well, it depends on, is the athlete doing what they need to do to address their mental health? And that's the hard part. So we can do everything in our power to address mental health, to promote mental health, to, you know, engage in mental health and create opportunities for athletes to report their mental health issues and connect them to resources. But at the end of the day, it's up to them to actually do the work to address their mental health. And so that means addressing sleep hygiene. That means um, what they're doing as far as nutrition, but also alcohol and drugs. Like, is that being addressed or looked at? Um, And that means, uh, you know, their mental health symptoms. Are they doing what their therapist is asking them to? First of all, are they going to counseling? Um, If accounts, if they've been in counseling and maybe medication was recommended, it doesn't mean they have to do medication, but if they're still struggling and that's been recommended is, are they, you know, now trying that out? Are they, are they doing the things that are being recommended to them to address their mental health? If the answer is yes, I would say nine times out of 10, and that's not a real stat. That's just my, my anecdotal guess. Yeah. You're going to see a change in performance. And this is the part that I wrote my athletes in. This is the part that I get their buy-in because when I'm having a conversation with an athlete about their mental health and they, um, you know, I can tell maybe aren't really into it. They don't want to hear it. Maybe they know they're struggling because they were, you know, they reported their symptoms, but you know, I've always felt this way or I don't want to do anything about it or I'm fine or the most common, it's just not that bad yet. That is (laughs) the most common. Oh yeah. The most common response that I get. And I'm always like, well, 
how bad are you going to let it get before you allow yourself to get help or, or to feel better, not even get help to feel better. You do not have to struggle. And so then usually what I go to is the performance piece. I say, how do you think you're doing on the field right now? Because inevitably, I mean, let's be real. If you're struggling with severe anxiety or severe depression symptoms or an eating disorder or alcohol use issues, you are not performing at your peak. There is no way because all of those things are also linked to one really important factor with performance and that's sleep. I mean, sleep connects everything if they're not. And we know that college students and even high school students are not getting enough sleep anyway. Then you add in the added load of being a student athlete and the pressures of that. Plus then you add, you dump on and, you know, sprinkle on mental health distress and inevitably their sleep is, is affected. I mean, not to mention support system. I feel like that was one of the one of the challenges I had, I remember going to football camp. Uh, it was August 5th. Um, I was a freshman. So Wednesday, I'll never forget. Yep. And there's like, I'm 18 and there are some grown men walking around that, <laughs> yeah. lot, that dorm. And, uh, and summer 23, 24, 25. And like, I'm living there like for the foreseeable future. No one else is on campus. And like, my mom's not around. My dad's <laughs> not around. My brothers aren't around. My yep. friends aren't around. Yep. Like, I don't know anyone on the team. One other guy I knew on the team, that was it. He was on the other side of the ball. So we didn't see each other in meetings. Mm-hmm. So like your, su- your support system, like I can speak firsthand. Like I didn't, it was gone. It was a phone call away, uh-huh. but it wasn't, Scary. I didn't come home to that. Like I did during football camp in the past, yeah. which is, you know, it's time to grow up. Like, yep. that's what I would have said. Like, all right, yeah. I get, do what you got to do. But that's just another one of those circles that are totally you know, vacant, uh, you know, at that point in time. And, you know, for a college athlete, so, you know, looking at mental health and what we know about mental health, that mental health issues are most likely to come about, to become present in an individual between the ages of like 16 and 24-ish, depending on what what literature you're looking at. Um, But generally like 18 to 20 is going to be that prime age and bam, that's college, right? And, um, other factors can really bring those out, such as big transitions like coming to college or being on a new team, losing your support system, being far from home, et cetera. Um, relationships changing, sure. right? And so, um, you know, yeah, it's not surprising being a freshman. So you, you know, you were acutely aware of that distress. Yeah. Now imagine also struggling with a clinical mental health issue on top of that. Sure, It could be really alarming. And, um, you know, these kids' mental health, mental health issues can really start um, increasing significantly if, if they're not addressed. What, what are the, what are the primary risk factors for, for mental health disorders? Mm-hmm. That's, that's a great question. So um, overwhelmingly the literature says it being female. Now there's, there's a lot of different um, areas of research behind the whys of that, right? There's, um, uh, there's, there's physical and hormonal obviously, but Um, most of it and most of the literature actually emphasizes social. So like social factors and social pressures on women in particular and society, when you talk about gender roles and all of that, um, that, that may put, um, females at higher risk and the same is mirrored in athletes. So female athletes are at significantly higher risk. There's also the factor of that males are more likely to underreport their symptoms. So it could be that they're still experiencing mental health issues, but not, you know, because of the pressure to not be perceived as weak and um, machismo and all of that. Um, so, you know, just in general, your female athletes are likely going to struggle more. And then um, 
especially your athletes of color. So, and again, this is mirrored. This is really not specific to athletes, um, but just in our general population that, um, and that has to do with uh, social issues, psychosocial issues, environmental issues, racism, et cetera. And so, um, you know, your athletes of color and your female athletes, and especially your female athletes of color are um, at significantly higher risk. And so, you know, being acutely aware of that and the resources in the environment that they're in, um, and making sure that you're uh, providing support for those athletes is really important. Love it. Um, I got one. I got one last question for you, and then we can. Like, I, I want to dive into whatever else you're into. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Ten years from now, oh. what's the landscape look like in your eyes? Okay. Not. Not. Uh, I want to know what what Lindsay wants it to be. Yeah. And I want to know what how that may change. Like, what's the reality, right? And maybe okay. this is reality. Yeah. But I, I want to know what. How should it be? Okay. What may it actually look like? Okay. So my prediction of what it's going to look like is this. I think that mental health in sports is right now where concussion was 10 to 15 years ago. And so if you remember what concussion looked like 10 to 15 years ago, I'm sure you do. Oh yeah. All too um, well. <laughs> you know, when I was in, when I was in college, we were still grading concussions, yeah. um, you know, and we were still rest, rest, rest post concussion. You know, sometimes some clinicians are still telling them to rest. And I just came from an athletic training conference and they're like, stop resting your athletes post concussion. Yeah. Right. There's been a huge shift. Now there's two things that cause that. Um, number one, research, significant increase in improve, improvement in research over the past decade, decade yep. and a half. And then number two, legislation. And unfortunately, what caused that was death and disability. And so you had athletes who were sued, who sued. Yep. exactly, yeah. exactly. And the courts and what happened in the courts was they said, okay, well, did these healthcare providers, the athletic trainers, the athletics department, the coaches do what is the recommended standard of care? And what did they do? They turned to the um, concussion consensus statement, you know, the, the, the recommended by the experts around the globe concussion consensus statement in the British Journal of Sports Medicine. I mean, it's published everywhere, right? And so they turned to that and said, here's what these people should have been doing and they weren't. And therefore, you know, um, there was, there was a, a lawsuit and that is what is going to happen with mental health. Um, I am very sure of it because there are best practices published that were published in, you know, uh, 2013 and 2016 by the NATA and NCAA. And it's only a matter of time before an athlete um, dies by suicide um, and, and, athletes are dying by suicides. But sure. what I mean is they die by suicide and then the family sues and says, here is what the recommendations are. And this school did not even ask my son or my daughter if they were struggling with their mental health. Why didn't they? So that's going to happen, unfortunately. And then legislation will follow. So, you know, states will start passing laws mandating um, mental health screening for athletes, and honestly, I think it's going to happen in schools. It already is happening. New Jersey's trying to pass a law right now um, mandating mental health screening in school districts. So uh, that's what's probably going to happen over the next decade. You know, the other thing is, though, that concussion is very similar to mental health, but different because it is a physical issue, whereas mental health 
is can be physical, but is not right. is psychological. And so, um, you know, I think concussion has a lot more buy-in by everyone from society, sure. although still is stigmatized, mm-hmm. whereas mental health does not. So that'll be the barrier. But um, so that's what I think will happen. And um, that is what I hope will happen. Um, not that I hope anybody will die. I do not want that to happen, but I do want, um, and I don't even think it needs to be legislation. Sure. I would love to see healthcare providers do it anyway, because that's what the recommendations are, is to mental health screen and create mental health management plans for your athletes, making sure that you're having that in place. And I really want to see it happen in the high schools because um, we're having these kids come to college and saying, I have been struggling for years. Oh yeah. And it makes my heart sad because, you know, they don't need to struggle for that long. We need to recognize and refer. The, the reality is, uh, and we, we see athletes uh, in here, a lot of athletes of all ages, and the reality is specialization is occurring earlier and earlier. Mm-hmm. And with specialization comes, in my opinion, burnout, is, stress, you know, mental health issues, took the words right yep. out of my mouth. So um, with th- if that starts in seventh, eighth, ninth grade, uh, then, then the correlate, then we have to connect the dots then, right? We mm-hmm. need to get, like, we need to get ahead of that then. So, mm-hmm. so implementing it in the high schools would be mm-hmm. a, a way of identifying those risk factors or those absolutely those, those who are at risk and right. normalizing it and normalizing mental health. That's key. I mean, we need to start doing that as a society. And sport has always been a model for society. I mean, sport has been used historically over the past several centuries. You know, as a model um, how to bring people together. You know, you look at the Olympics, like. Um, our society, no matter where you go, any country like sport exists. And so, you know, we can be leaders here as it relates to mental health and already professional athletes, um, are doing that. You know, you, you look at Simone Biles, um, you, you look at Serena Williams, um, and, and they're, you know, leading the way in talking about mental health and normalizing mental health and, um, really prioritizing it. I hey, give my man, my man Lane Johnson a shout out. You mm-hmm. know, he, he came out and spoke about it, and uh, you know, uh, and I think for for men, you know, I'll I'll, I'll be that guy for a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, when you hear that, like Lane Johnson, like the dude who like throws people around, who mangles people, has, suffers like from an anxiety or like depression, and there's no way. And like Jason Kelsey's up there crying on, you know, talking about how you know how, what that means to him and. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how much Lane means to him. So like, oh yeah, I mean like two of the machoest men I've ever seen in my mm-hmm. life are coming out talking about this. So, mm-hmm. you know, as men, we should be more comfortable coming out. I'll, I'll throw that out there. We should be more comfortable discussing it yeah. and we shouldn't feel, you know, belittled or any less of a man for talking about yeah. it. So yeah. um, I think that's cool stuff. I'm happy, you know, we're talking about this today. Um, what else you got? What else you want to dive into? I, what else you want to talk about with the app? Is there anything I, you want, you want to discuss more about the app? Like, like, can University of Georgia call you tomorrow? I'm yes. like, hey, I want like. Yeah, University you know I mean? of Georgia, call me tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, like this has the ability ability to be scaled. Yes. To that level. Yeah, correct? that's okay. what we want. Um, that's, you know, that's my goal because right now um, there's really nothing out there for athletic trainers to streamline this process. And so if we're going to get ATs on board and, and universities, athletics departments on board with doing mental health screening, I'm telling you, you can do it. Um, it is possible. And um, we created a platform to make it easy for you and to be able to do 
way more than you ever thought that you could with mental health screening. Can, can, um, like almost like an EMR system. Like, yeah. Can we, can we customize? Can yep. we? Yes. Heck yeah. So yeah. To me, I think that's the, that's a big part of the future is yep. how can I alter or, or modify the different tests or clusters or whatever, yes, or what have absolutely. you to get yep. what I need. And then, and then high schools, um, obviously like no brainer, like call me yesterday. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many, I mean, I'm just going to dive into the benefits of it because it's going to seem like you're bragging if you say it, but you can <laughs> brag. That's okay. Um, improving performance, right? If we want to, if we want to throw that out there, uh, we're mitigating the risk for, for future issues, long-term issues. I mean, these, these young individuals are going to be parents yeah. one day. Right. Yeah. And, and for them, you know, for them to go through some issues now or go through these issues now, like how does that come to fruition in the future? And like, mm-hmm. so we're talking about like, the longevity of this, right? Yeah. And, and in the immediate moment, connecting it, them to the resources. That it. was one thing I didn't mention that, that I would love to mention that, that right. um, we built into the app is that um, when an athlete takes a mental health screen or anyone who's using it takes the mental health screen, it will automatically give um, feedback to the individual and it won't tell them their score that they've red flagged or anything like that. We don't want, you know, a young athlete panicking um, over sure. a result, but it, it will say something like on the depression screen, if they had elevated symptoms, it will say, uh, it sounds like you're struggling. Know that you're not alone. An athletic trainer or healthcare provider will follow up with you. In the meantime, feel free to reach out. And here are some resources. The crisis text line, which I will share, 741-741. So you can text home, help, and literally anything. And it's um, completely anonymous and free. Um, 741-741. And then the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. So those resources are automatically populated, including websites as well, based on their results. So, and and it's tailored for if they green, yellow, or red flag and tailored for every type of issue. So they're going to be connected to different resources if they flag on the eating disorder screen, for example. Sure. Yeah. I love this. This is, uh, this is eye-opening and... And it's, 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 we need to be aware of this. And I came in, I told you before the podcast, like, I don't know much about this. I'm like, I want to, Yeah. I just don't, I, I don't know what I haven't had the resources yeah. to discuss this with. So yeah. I'm so happy we did this. Anything else you want to add? Well, I want to, I want to add one thing and I, I, um, any talks that I ever, uh, give, I always add this in at the end because I think this is a huge myth and, Um, you know, sometimes talking about suicide is really hard because like it's not normalized and it's difficult and it hurts. It could be traumatic, um, for a lot of people who, you know, because everyone in some way has been touched by mental health and suicide. Um, and the one thing that I wanted to talk to mention is the myth that talking about suicide will put that idea into someone's head. That is, has been, I, researched thoroughly um, by clinicians and researchers where they have identified that that is absolutely false. And in fact, the opposite is true, that by talking about suicide, you are now normalizing the conversation. And so someone who may be struggling with thoughts of suicide or intentions of suicide now know you are open to talking about it and they're more likely to come to you if they're struggling. And so having conversations around mental health, but even suicide and asking someone who you know is struggling, um, have you had thoughts of suicide? 
um, is not going to put that idea in their head and they're not going to then go and act on it. That's not how it works. And in fact, again, if you ask that, they're going to be more likely to actually come to you or to tell you. Um, so you're giving them the opportunity to let you know, and that may be saving someone's life. Love it. This yeah. is great. Um, all right. How do we get, how can people get a hold of you? How can our listeners yeah. reach out to you or even, even high schools, colleges, right? Like how can we get the right people in touch with with you and your team or yeah 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 so uh, you could email me at l keenan k-e-e-n-a-n at gopromotionhealth.com okay or you could go to our website www.gopromotionhealth.com and that'll we'll put those in the show notes um is there any uh do you have any like twitter or instagram or any, yeah. any handles yeah yeah you can um find us on uh facebook um promotion health and uh, if you just search promotion health or promotion mental health screening um, and on uh, Twitter, we are promotion HLTH um, and promotion health at promotion health on Instagram. Damn, you guys got it all. We Rarely do we get someone who's, who's got, we're, who's we're got moving. <laughs> this is so, I mean, this is so cool. It's been, uh, this has been awesome. This probably, this might be one of my favorite ones, if not my favorite. This Thank you. Great. I appreciate yeah. it. I really, really liked being here. No, this is awesome. Thank you. Uh, I'm blasting this out to, uh, to everybody. So awesome. That, that's right. Thank, Thank you. you so much. You're the best. Thanks for listening to the on cue performance therapy podcast. If you'd like this episode, please subscribe on Apple podcasts and Spotify. It would mean so much to me if you could leave us a five-star review. So more listeners like you could get this important information. See you next time.